Let me mention a couple of things. First of all, it's great to be back after having been gone for a while. Robin and I took an opportunity to go down and see some grandchildren in the last week. Uh, we hadn't yet seen little Nolan, and so we had a chance to see him. I'll say a few more things about that in just a moment. Um, it's always great to see them, wonderful to see them. But you know, I learned that I have to be careful about the things that I say from the pulpit here. Because I'm finding that my grandsons, who are six, now love to listen to their pappas on the podcast. And so I have to be careful what I say. Like if, I'm, if I say something that's not true, and they happen to figure that out, they're going to call me on it. And so keep me honest, ladies and gentlemen. Like I'd like to say things that are true all the time. We'd like to think that the preacher always tells stories that are true, stories about his grandsons, for example, that are true. But if I make up a story about my grandson, it's very possible that he's going to say to me, Pappas, I listened to your sermon. I didn't do that. And he, you know, that, that could happen. So I just, I have to be careful here about the things that I say. I'd like to think I'm always honest about all that, but you know, you can fudge things or make things sound a little bit different than they really were. And the next thing you know, your grandson who's six years old is going to be calling into you in, to question the, uh, the ethics of your sermon. So you have to be careful. I also wanted to say, I haven't heard Dustin's uh, sermon yet, but everybody says that it was wonderful, that Dustin did a great job last Sunday. So Dustin, great job. And I'm looking forward to hearing that. Just a couple more things else. Uh, no friends speak luncheon this week. For those of you who had heard that there might be a friend speak luncheon immediately following today, there's not going to be. And then uh, next Sunday is our international potluck. And so please bring food re- representing where you're from and we'll share together in a potluck next week. And I'm excited about that. And that's after the second service. So uh, those of you who come to the first service, you can go home, cook something real quick that's Canadian or whatever you are, and then come back for the international potluck. There is a great deal of talk these days about spirituality. Perhaps, I think, because people are not very pleased with the direction of the world. Nor are they pleased necessarily with their own lives. And so sometimes I think people look at what might be out there other realms, other possibilities, because they don't necessarily like what they see here. Most of us, I think, sense that something else might be there, that we are not the epitome, that there is something beyond the natural world. We've described before how standing on a mountain, looking over a beautiful vista, can bring tears to someone's eyes. This experience of this this vital reality that's there tends to, to touch us deeply. It means something to us. We can watch the miracle of birth and just holding a newborn baby, like what I did with Nolan in the last week. Like, I don't know if I've ever spent as much time just holding one of my grandchildren as I did with Nolan this week. He was very content to just be with me at different times. He was sleepy. And so he would just fall asleep in my arms. And I could sit in a chair and hold him and gaze at him for an hour and a half. And he would barely move except maybe to just yawn a little bit. 
And it was a beautiful, wonderful, spiritual kind of experience. And it caused me to reflect about who I was. It caused me to think about who he's going to be. And those of you who are parents and grandparents know exactly what I'm talking about. I can remember my father saying to me, you know, when you have kids of of your own, you're going to realize just how much you can love somebody. And of course I thought, well, you know, I kind of think I understand that now. When I was 16, whatever. But you gain an understanding about that when you do have your own children, or in this case, your own grandchildren, that is far different than what you ever imagined. There wasn't anything that could really prepare you for that experience. And so there's something profound and real and deep that we often experience. Falling profoundly in love with another person shouts at us. Or or loving a, a newborn baby screams at us. That we are more than just molecules and enzymes. And unraveling the beauty of the DNA molecule that speaks to who we are also speaks to our souls. We find out that we're ordered and connected with something intentional and rational and beautiful. Acts of gentleness, love, compassion, and grace speak to us of something beautiful that we share together. You know, Jonathan walked in the building at one point in the last couple of days. And I saw him. And just for a moment, like I didn't, you know, I didn't come close to tears or anything. I I actually don't cry very often. Um, So I I didn't come close to tears or anything, you know. But, But Jonathan, just for a second, I looked at him and I thought to myself, I'm glad he's here. And there was just this connecting kind of moment. And I don't know if it meant anything to him. He probably looked at me and thought, Kelly's back. <laughs> but, but for me, it was, it was just a wonderful moment. We experience things like that. Things speak to our hearts. And even beauty itself can capture our attention and our fascination. And all of these elements... Let us know that the natural realities are not all there is. The human spirit longs for something more than just the natural. And of course, it was the same way in the ancient world as it is today. There were people who were seeking that which was out there. There are people who want to know what is wise, what is knowledge, what is good, what is virtuous, what is beauty, what does this mean? People ask those questions and they've been doing so for a long time. And so we have seen efforts by all kinds of cultures and people to try and get in touch with these spiritual realities that we somehow sense are there. And sometimes that occurs in ways that are really strange. We would think quite unproductive. You know, there's a large segment of the world who has for a while believed that the world sits on the back of an immensely large turtle. And And it's just funny that they would think that, I think. Like, what is the turtle sitting on? But the world is sitting on top of the back of a very large turtle that apparently isn't sitting on anything. 
And so people grasp at ways to get at this. People look at a tree and somehow in the religion of animism will make that tree a god. People have for thousands of years talked about the sun as if the sun is some kind of god. We look at the newspapers and we can see every day in the newspaper a horoscope where people are watching the stars and trying to determine spiritualities, spirituality by that which they see in the stars. People will erect something out of rock, a stone figure, and then bow down to that stone figure. Because every culture wants to somehow get in touch with spirituality. Sometimes that happens in poetry or music or stargazing. Sometimes, like back in the 60s, it used to happen with psychedelic drugs. And people were serious about this. They would take LSD thinking that somehow there would be a real spiritual, an authentically spiritual experience that would come out of that. Well, Scripture is pretty clear that these are vain attempts at being spiritual because a true perspective on spirituality can only be found when God, who is in fact there, chooses to reveal himself. And that it doesn't happen by our own efforts at discovery. We simply cannot reach into the heavens. In fact, I think about the Tower of Babel sometimes and wonder exactly what all of that was about. Wasn't that in some sense people trying to reach into the heavens, trying to get access to that which is beyond them? And so whether it's a tower of Babel or a small capsule that somebody takes, they're trying somehow to reach beyond this world into something else. Now, it's unfortunate that it's not just those who are not listening to the revelation from God, who sometimes pursue ways which aren't very productive in terms of us being as spiritual as we want to be. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's on page 807 in the Pew Bibles. First Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to go to some places just before this in this letter where I think Paul actually addresses an answer to the problem. Paul often does this. He will talk about an answer to the problem first and then give you what the problem is. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he kind of gives us the problem. He says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual. That's interesting. These are brothers, he says. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are not, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord is assigned to each his task. So in this case, there's disunity in the church. People are obviously following different factions in the church, following certain leaders who have certain teachings in the church. And the fact is, as we unfold the book of 1 Corinthians, there are all kinds of problems in this church. This is a church where people are disunified, especially 
we find, about spirituality. And so we can look at that great section in chapter 12, 13, and 14 where Paul talks about the charismatic gifts and the blessings of the Spirit and the problems that have arisen within the church as they have exercised their spirituality in ways that are not at all productive for unity. In fact, there are people who think that they are super spiritual within the congregation. And I hate to say this, ladies, but it's actually probably some women. There's some women in the church in Corinth who think of themselves as being super spiritual. They desire to exercise their spirituality in a dominating way over the rest of the congregation, begging to be teachers, mainly because they say, we are great tongue speakers. So you have apparently some women who are great tongue speakers who are now wanting to exercise their spiritual superiority within the congregation over everybody else. And they think this sign of, of tongues is especially their gift and an indication of just how spiritual they are. And Paul clearly throughout that whole section says, no, not hardly. So there's many places I suppose we could go in Corinthians to look at some spiritual problems. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first few verses, is certainly one of those. But it's in the first two chapters that I find most interesting the answer that Paul gives to the spiritual difficulties that they face. So I'm going to read a bunch of scripture here. And I want you to answer this question for me. What time is it here? Okay, just enough time to do all this. What I want you to do is I want you to follow along with me and, and just focus on what do you see as being kind of the most expressed word like the word that paul uses the most in the first 18 verses we're going to read those first 18 verses or 17 verses what is it that paul says more often than anything else in terms of words that he uses now i don't want you to look at words like you and i and to and 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 the okay look at some words that are more significant than that but what is it that he says more than anything off uh, anything else chapter 1 verse 1 paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctifying Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way in all your speaking and all your knowledge because your testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. And notice how he commends them for their knowledge and the way that they speak. It's interesting how that's actually the problem or one of the major problems in the church. Verse 7, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there might be divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And I can stop right there. I don't have to read any further. In those verses, what is clearly the center focus for Paul as he addresses this problem first of disunity within the church? What does he say more than anything else? The Lord Jesus Christ. It just jumps out at you everywhere. Christ is the key. Christ is the center. When Paul wants to address a problem in the church in Corinth, he's going to focus specifically on who Jesus is. Now, what's interesting about that is that, again, a major problem in this church is spirituality. 
So the people have some kind of spirituality. In this case, I think kind of a, an overemphasis on the gift of speaking in tongues. And it's to Christ that Paul consistently calls the church in answer to the spiritual problem that these people are facing. Well, what's interesting is it just goes on and on. Like, I won't read all these verses. If you were to read the rest of chapter 1, you would find Paul's consistently talking about who Jesus is. And he ends up saying things like this. If you look at uh, uh, verse, well, in verse 18, he talks about the gospel. And then he talks about to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Which is interesting because so often spirituality is an attempt to get a handle on power. Later on, he talks about Christ being the wisdom and the power of God. That's in verse 24. Uh, talking about the, the wisdom of God is or the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Uh, verse 26, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Uh, not many were influ influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolishness of the world. And what are the foolish things in the world? In this case, it's Jesus, who is this carpenter from Nazareth, crucified on a cross. And that leads Paul to start talking about the cross in a very specific way. So in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So he draws this, this distinction between the wisdom of men and the wisdom and power of God, which always here centers on who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit. And then he gets to what I think are as, as telling and specific a passage that communicates something to us about our spirituality as there is in any place in the New Testament. I want you to look at verse 6, and I'm going to read here for several verses. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Now, what has Paul already said is the power and wisdom of God? Christ is. So he's here talking about a hidden wisdom. Doesn't that just sound kind of spiritual? Isn't that the way people in the world talk all the time when it comes to spirituality? It's as if there is some element of wisdom that they're seeking after, some element of power and spirituality that they seek after, looking for that. And they use this kind of vocabulary even all the time. And here Paul says there is a hidden wisdom from God that he has revealed. And what is that hidden wisdom of spiritual depth? And it's Christ. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because this all centers on who Jesus is. However, as it's written, no eye is seen, nor ear is heard, no mind is conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But 
God has revealed it to us by his spirit. I started out here by saying at the beginning of the sermon that people seek all the time for some kind of spiritual wisdom. And all the while, that spiritual wisdom is grounded in revelation. God reveals something about himself in Jesus. And that's where spiritual truth lies. The middle of that verse. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now watch the next verse. This is important. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Wow. God brings to us an authentic spirituality. It's the Spirit who brings to us the truth about spiritual things. Ultimately, that line in the wisdom that is Christ. And so the world seeks everywhere for some kind of spiritual answer. And all the while, God is saying, it is in Jesus, revealed to us by my Spirit. And that's where we need to seek it. Now, the question is, how do we? What do we do in order to be spiritual people, in order to seek this kind of spirituality? Now, at this point in the sermon, usually the preacher turns to the spiritual disciplines. And he says, well, we're going to talk about prayer now. We're going to talk about reading the Bible. We're going to talk about spiritual service. We're going to talk about giving, all those kinds of things. I don't want to do that this morning. Instead of going to something like the spiritual disciplines, I instead want to ask you what you think about spirituality, specifically reflecting Christ in you. And I want you to reflect on your own priorities and goals with respect to spirituality and to ask yourself, what do I need to do? What's the one thing that I need to do more than anything else to get my spiritual house in order and make this kind of connection with God the way that God wants me to make it through Jesus? And so, Ethan, there is a slide that you can find, I'm sure. There it is. He's so good. There are the two questions. You've had some chance already to think about those. Jonathan asked you earlier to pull out a piece of paper, but just in case you didn't do it then, or in case you forgot the questions or something, there they are on the screen. I want you to take another couple of minutes here to answer those kinds of questions. I want you to write something down, and I actually am going to come and ask from you some kind of response, like have you speak into this microphone and tell everybody else the kind of things that are on your mind. I'm just going to take volunteers. I haven't talked to anybody else in advance. It's not like I've got somebody out there in the audience who's all set up and ready to do this. I just want somebody to volunteer and say, yeah, here's what spirituality means to me and here's the thing that I need to do in my life more than anything else to be spiritual. Okay? So I'll give you a couple of minutes to do this, and then I want to hear you speak. Okay, most of you don't look busy enough. I think you're done. So we're going to move on here. First of all, I'm going to read to you what I wrote on my piece of paper. I just did it earlier. True spirituality. What does it mean to be spiritual? What's spirituality? True spirituality consists of a mindset, focus, and set of attitudes and activities 
that is dominated by our connection with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. True spirituality consists of a mindset, focus, and set of attitudes and activities that is dominated by our connection with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's what being spiritual means to me. Now, somebody else. Don't be afraid to share. Carly, thanks. Go ahead. Speak right into the microphone. Um, I had to be more Christ-like in my thoughts, actions, and life. Is that your, like a priority for you, your um, goal or whatever? To be more Christ-like? Okay. And, and read it again. Christ-like in? My thoughts, actions, and my life. One, okay. thing, one thing the Lord has been kind of speaking to me lately is about being conscious of him. As I go through my day and everything I do, right? Because a lot of times, you know, I, I get up in the morning and I, you know, have my devotions and stuff. And then I get in the car and I'm I'm conscious of him because I listen to 88.9. But then I get to work and it's almost like my brain shuts off and I concentrate on work. And he... I bet your employers don't really like that. <laughs> and, uh, and he's really been speaking to me about being conscious of him through the day, like it, when I'm working, right? It, it, like not just to kind of... Like, you know, just to have him part of, of uh, you know, my work activities, right? Right. Yeah. So. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Somebody else? Go ahead and take the microphone. All right. But give it back. <laughs> That's the plan. Uh, I guess what spirituality means to me is uh, uh, agency for what comprises my faith and how I should uh, how I should be able to look after it and, uh, and help cultivate my faith. Uh, and I, if I was to say the number one activity that I'm trying to trying to propagate or goal like my goal uh, is to is to listen and be willing to learn a bit more. Um, I used to be very close-minded about topics and. Uh, so I'm trying to trying to open up a bit uh, and hone in on uh, on what's what's best for God. Does that does that satisfy? Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Very good. Isn't it nice to think that we have persons in our church who are around the 20 year old age mark who are thinking like that? That's pretty cool. Okay. Excellent. Somebody else. I'll take one more, one or two more. Fortunately, I've been training. I just wanted to steer off. For me, spirituality is, is uh, being in a mindset where I'm looking past the physical things around me and, and uh, focusing on the... Um, on on God, and a connection, a relationship with God, and what I find gets in my way uh, is is me. I have to get myself out of the way. Um, I have to to learn to each day over and over say, "Not my will, but thine be done." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is the case that there like there's so many things in our world that distract us these days, and 
Uh, so much of that is just a, centered on ourselves, for sure. Okay, one more. Somebody else. Maybe someone from the middle section or over here. I'm thinking sheep and goats. No, that doesn't work. So, <laughs> gotta be some somebody over here who's thought about the question. No, June, way to come through, girl. <laughs> she's so concerned she's going to be a goat. <laughs> Spirituality to me means um, loving. It's the only way I can explain spirituality Hmm. personally. And the other question, number one activity, is loving people um, and seeing them as God sees them Hmm. and trying to love them as God loves them. I appreciate that very much. You certainly are not the first person uh, in the history of the world to to equate the notion of being spiritual with the idea of love and all that love comprises. And of course, God, through Jesus, has expressed himself to us in love, uh, in, in the greatest way of all. And so I, and all those statements in scripture about God is love and all of that certainly fits with the, the notion of spirituality as well. Well, I hope that as the week goes on, uh, that you'll be reflecting some more on these two questions. What does spirituality mean to you? And then, really, how am I going to be the kind of spiritual person that God wants me to be? What's my number one priority? What's my goal in trying to make that happen? I appreciate very much those who spoke because it indicates that people are taking that kind of question seriously in their lives. And we need to do that for sure. God wants us to. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be people that focus far beyond even the stars and beyond all that we can imagine to you. Help us just focus on you. We're grateful, God, that you send your Holy Spirit to to fit with, to mesh with our spirits, that our spirits can get caught up in your spirit and that we can know you better. We pray, God, that you'd lift us out of our humanity and our materiality and our uh, that which is natural and help us to... F- to have the spiritual side of us exercise regularly as we focus on who you are in our lives. Thank you for, for revealing yourself to us, especially in Jesus. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.